0: Slow Burn Media and Evergreen Podcast presents Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. Hello and welcome to episode 139 of Who Killed. I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media and Evergreen Podcast production. On this week's show, we are going to wrap up my conversation with Nick about the missing person's case out of Kent State. From 1978, which involves one Judy Martins, who was from Avon Lake, Ohio, which is a suburb located not too far from where this podcast is produced. And in the conclusion of this episode, we talk about who may be involved and what processes may need to be taken to get the answers for the family that remains looking for judy so join me and nick for part two and the conclusion of judy martin's is missing when you don't have any answers in this particular case i I mean it's just awful i mean her father passed away from cancer at a very young age uh her mom passed away at a young age when you go through these types of tragedies as as a family it definitely takes more out of you than just you know I mean it's, it's a tragedy for the whole family and everyone involved family and friends and you know I just I feel like Judy's case would have been so much if it happened today we wouldn't this is, I say this all the time you know cuz it's revisionist history But if we had the technology today that we have, you know, if we had the technology that we have today back then, then there's no way that this case would be unsolved. I mean, there would have been cameras, recordings. Somebody would have noticed something. I also think that in this world that we live in, as far as the true crime world, which has become much more uh, popular in the last, you know, few decades it wasn't really a big thing in 1978 to be aware of what to look out for and a lot of listeners and a lot of the people that I've talked to why they listen to true crime a lot of them come back to me and they say well it's nice to know to kind of what what to look out for and in Judy's case you know there probably wasn't as much information on stranger danger and that kind of stuff I mean. I'm just totally speculating on that aspect of it, but it's. It just seems like a more innocent time period, 1978, than 2021, which doesn't sound necessarily right, but I feel like there's much more awareness today than there would have been on May 24th, May 23rd, 1978.
1: Well, and again, I, I just want to kind of point out that week for everybody because it adds to the conflict of solving this case and the conflict of finding her and putting together a good suspect list, right? Because they, they had a decent suspect list, but you're, you're reaching a little bit for, for people that when you review the suspect list that they were working with early on, It's pretty much the former boyfriend, and that's Mm -hmm. it. And so the 23rd is a Tuesday. They party. They have a good time. As the story goes, she goes missing at 2 2 a.m., 2.30 a.m., walking home in the dark by herself, short walk. That's Wednesday, early Wednesday. She's not reported missing until 4.35 p.m. on Friday. They're breaking for a holiday weekend. Do you think anybody's actively searching for a missing college kid who they all they get these reports almost daily or a couple a week? And that's no that's no stretch there. I'll, I'll pull up uh, an exact quote from the, the Kent State police chief here in a second. If uh, I'll try to find it while we're we're talking through this. But think about that, how how that screwed up this investigation even on the local level where where we're not putting a high probability of Kent State solving this thing anyway. But then let's add in the factor of she's missing for two days, then finally reported missing. And by the time she's reported missing, it's practically 5 p.m. on a Friday, on a holiday weekend. Kids are going home. The the, the big issue also becomes, okay, uh, well, has anybody seen her? Oh, well, who does she hang out with? Well, she hangs out with Bill, and she hangs out with Nick, and she hangs out with uh, so-and-so. Uh, well, Bill has gone home for the holiday weekend. Nick left yesterday, and so-and-so is getting ready to leave now. And so this is 1978, and as you pointed out, had technology been what it is today, it would be a different story. Those When Bill left school on that Friday, and when when Nick left school on that Thursday, they almost became impossible to get a hold of until they came back. And now, you know, memories fade even just after a couple days. And, um, you know, so so that is is one big part of the problem for this case. Now, Kent State Police Chief Robert Malone said, this is the only case we had at Kent State of a missing person who could not be accounted for. I know it's the only one since 1973 when I came on board. With 17,000 students, we get a, a lot of missing persons reports here, but there always seems to be an explanation. So this is from that article that came out about four years after, four or five years after Judy went missing. So he was not the Kent State Police Chief at the time that she went missing, but he started working there in 1973. So this is a, approximately 82 or 83 by the time he's doing this interview. And he's saying in in a nine, 10 year time period, she's the only one that that we've never had a reasonable explanation for that. We couldn't come up with finding her relatively quickly uh, somewhere in when, when we covered it. And, and my notes are pretty extensive in this case, so I'm having a hard time sifting through them here, Bill, and I apologize. But somewhere in our coverage of it on True Crime Garage, I did have the exact quote of where he said how many people, approximately how many people they get uh, reported missing each week at that time. But the thing here is this has all the makings for a good crime novel, a good mystery novel, right? Beautiful young woman goes missing in the middle of the night, walking home by herself. Years later, the strange sighting of possibly uh, she's relocated and, and this down on her luck person comes into the picture and it, it's a possible match and it could be her, but it's not, ends up not being... Her and the, the the mystery of the boyfriend, and then the serial killer comes into the fold years after the fact where, oh, he was in the area, and he's killed uh, similar victims. So it has all the makings for a great mystery novel. The thing for me, though, Bill, is it's not a very, at the heart and core of this story, it's not that big of a mystery to me. And I I think what adds to the confusion here is simply that story of she was last seen walking from dorm to dorm. And you are right. If we had technology back in 78 that we have today, this case would be solved. And why would it be solved? Two reasons. One, I don't believe you would have any camera footage of her walking from dorm A to dorm B. I don't think she left dorm A of her own free will mm-hmm. that night. So when, when the story says she, she was last seen walking home from Dunbar hall to Engelman hall, that sounds good. It sounds good in the papers. It adds to the mystery. Who says they saw her walking home that no one I reviewed, I've reviewed the, the police file. There is not a single person that says they, Witnessed her walking home. So I go, well, maybe she didn't even walk home. Maybe something happened to her before she could walk home that night. And therein lies the answer to to your question and to solving this mystery. And I think the other thing that technology would show you, had they had it, somebody had to get her body out of that dorm at a, at a Dunbar Hall. And there's a chance that it may have taken more than one person. And so while I do not believe that you would have seen video footage of her walking from dorm to dorm, I think you would have seen video footage of somebody moving something suspicious either that night or the next morning on the 24th. That's the other thing. If something terrible happened to this woman, on the night of the 23rd or very early in the early hours of the 24th. Nobody's looking for her until the 26th. Somebody had time to dispose of, of the, of her body. If something terrible happened to her. And the thing is too, back then, from my understanding, from what I've been told by people that that have a good understanding of what the campus looked like in 78 is you go about, 25 yards, 30 yards in one direction from Dunbar Hall and you're in the woods. So somebody may not have had to go very far to to dispose of her. And and I'll tell you what, the answer to what happened to Judy Martins is in the timeline itself. The the last individuals that saw her that night that were admittedly hanging out with her that night, there's there's four individuals. And I believe in my heart that one, if not two of them know likely two of them is my guess. Because, again, either I think maybe one person did something bad or two people did something bad. Or if we want to go back to just one, again, they may have had help um, getting rid of something later. So. The the four the four people in that timeline are the ones that you really want to look.
0: Yeah, at. Yeah, and especially with that beaten holiday weekend, nobody would be suspicious if they saw you carrying a big suitcase.
1: Carrying a big suitcase, and this is this sounds really sad, um, but I've heard from more than one person that on that campus in '78, it would not it it would not send off any alarm bells if you saw
0: someone carrying a drunk person over their shoulder? Uh, Honestly, you're not, you're, you're, I mean, I've been, I went to OU. She was at OU. I mean, these are like top party schools in the nation. You're absolutely right. It is, it, it is something that would be weird now, but back
1: then, more than one individual told me that and I you know it, to me it seems a little uh, yeah <laughs> like I, 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 I I don't know how I would sounds well, a little date rapey, let's not go there, Date but, rapey
0: to me but yeah
1: I, I'm I'm not gonna lie I have a little I have a little doubt to that but um but I've been told that by more than one individual so if if they believe it to be true then then it must be true on some level
0: I mean okay they could have seen one person doing that at one point or another and I mean, again, it's college. People get way too drunk and have no ability to walk sometimes, and that's just part of being a college student. My thought, and I think I fall in the same category as you, Category as you is that, that she most likely never left that dorm because there's no specific sighting of her leaving a door. You know, she exited out of the east door of Dunbar Hall. You know, usually you see that type of description when somebody's been seen leaving somewhere. So I would say that's a red flag in the research that I've uncovered. And that, yeah, those last four people that saw her, you know, what kind of nefarious thing could have happened? Anybody's guess. And it's not fair for us to speculate, but something clearly... Bad happened to Judy and the people that were with her most likely do know where she is or, you know, what they had done with her or what had happened to her on that night. Mm -hmm. It just makes no sense that she would disappear in 150 or 200 yards. Again, like you said, nobody saw her.
1: Nobody saw her leaving. Nobody saw her make that walk or or even walk out that dorm door. Nobody, nobody, no witness at any time ever says that they even see her, you know, like making their way out of the dorm building itself. Mm
0: -hmm. That's yeah, that's where I see a big problem. The way that the
1: story goes is that she vanished somewhere between Dunbar Hall and Engelman Hall. The, the genesis of that story is the last two individuals that saw her, that the, the, she was hanging out with. They say, well, yeah, she left here at such and such time and said that she was walking home. That's, where the, that's the genesis of that story. And what's been told for 40 years is that she disappeared walking alone in the dark in the middle of the night. Well, show me. In, 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 a, in, a, in a, a police file this thick, not one witness that says that they, that says, oh, yep, I witnessed her. She looked like she was leaving the dorm. I didn't see her step out, but she looked like she was leaving Dunbar Hall. Uh, and no one says, I I witnessed her walking from Dunbar to, to Engelman or anywhere else. So um, until you can find that person, I believe that the answer lies inside Dunbar Hall. And in the, the last inv- individuals that saw her that night uh, between the hours of 11 PM and let's go ahead and go to 30 AM because that that's the time that these persons say in the, in the police file. But, um, yeah, it's, it's the answers to this one. It's interesting because there's all these little interesting nuggets and, and pieces to this story that make it larger than what it probably should be. And it's a very, a very simple case to me when I, when I review this one.
0: So basically we have Judy, she goes out partying, assuming she's partying, Mm -hmm. hanging out with friends, doing whatever, don't know this exact specifics, but what, what was the timeline from that night? So it's more of like a celebration for
1: Miss Martin's that night. She is going to go out to dinner with friends. And then after dinner, With her friends, she goes back to her dorm room and her, you know, her friends dorms, which these are female friends. So right now she's still in Engelman Hall. Right. And at some point she decides to make the walk to Dunbar Hall. So at approximately 11 p.m., she leaves her friend Robin's room in Engelman Hall dorm. She tells her that she is going to see Charles Neville's. Now, Charles Neville lives in Dunbar Hall, and this is a, a well-known, well-liked guy. Uh, it, Robin knows him. Her other friends know him. Uh, he seems like he might have been a bit of a catch back then. Um, I don't know if there was any kind of relationship going on between between him or any of these other girls. But anyway, she states that at 11 p.m. approximately that she's leaving her engelman hall to go to dunbar hall with the expectation of seeing charles nevels okay so she arrives at at 233 dunbar hall stays there with charles Neville nevels and john Beckany. uh this is in john's room and these are all according to statements that these witnesses gave to police at one time or another Uh, Judy there removes the wig sunglasses and trench coat that she was wearing again she's out celebrating having a good time Um, right around 11 p.m. approximately uh, this is per Kevin Greer another witness for the night says that Judy stops by to see if Bernie Caffrey is home um, or at his dorm but he is not Uh, so she talks to Bernie's roommate Leo Robe. Uh, for a minute and then goes to charles neville's room again leo robe says that judy was dressed quote 3 a.m the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire let me tell you what you're going to get you're going to hear stories about demonic possessions prison stabbings skinwalkers glitches in the matrix cult leaders missing 411 night marchers operation paperclip Mesopotamian devil worship and so many monsters, it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. Mike A. Hooker.
0: Let's hear from this week's sponsor, Best Fiends. It's great getting back to normal as we head into fall. I know I'll be working in the yard and hitting my favorite fall festivities. One thing I know for sure is I'll be diving into Best Fiends on my phone. Since true crime research calls for a mental break, Best Fiends has become my go-to. Clearly, I love to solve puzzles, and Best Fiends offers me a new challenge every day. Best Fiends is way more fun than any other matching puzzle game out there. It's also one of those games that makes time fly, and it's totally free to download. One of the coolest parts about Best Fiends is there's something new going on all the time, whether it's a new challenge, more levels, a fun monthly event, or new characters. I am cruising through these levels, and that's pretty much a sign that anyone can play. I've discovered that moving through these puzzle levels is also a mindful experience. Plus, collecting all those different characters is another reason that I turn to Best Fiends for a challenge. If you're tired of the same old puzzle games, this game is for you. If you don't have a favorite character yet, give Temper a try. He's small but mighty. Trust me, you don't want to miss out on this game. So join me and millions of people who are already playing this fun puzzle game. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play today. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Amy. And hi, Hi, true true crime fans. fans. We're the co-hosts of She Goes by Jane. Every week, we'll be covering the story of a missing or unidentified woman in the United States. Stories you may have heard before. And ones whose stories didn't make it into the news. We've been covering these stories for a while. First in Amy's book of poetry, Doe. And then in Vanessa's documentary, She.
1: But now we want to share them with you here on She Goes by Jane.
0: And each week we'll be joined by a special guest who will read a poem in honor of the women we talk about. Can we say who? We can say who. We'll be joined by actresses like Coco Jones and Gabrielle Ruiz. And musicians like Stephanie Quayle and Kelly Moneymaker, along with authors like Louise Penny and Catherine McKenzie. So check out She Goes by Jane wherever you get your podcasts, or check out Evergreen Podcasts and their True Crime Channel, Killer Podcasts. We can't wait to bring you these stories. Let's hear from this week's sponsor, BetterHelp.com. We may have moved past 2020, but 2021 is still looking fairly grim. But today I'm happy to tell you about BetterHelp.com. Because if there's anything holding you back or interfering with your happiness, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. You can connect with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. And it's really convenient. Because in this current state that we live in, it just has to be. So now you can get help on your own time at your own pace. All you have to do is schedule a secure video or phone session, Or you can chat and text with your therapist. BetterHelp really is there for you. They have over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states. And if for whatever reason you aren't happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time. So if you're suffering from depression or anxiety, stress, anger, relationship issues, heck, you're not getting a good night's sleep, or have LGBT matters, or just low self-esteem, they literally have a licensed professional counselor for you. And of course, everything you share is confidential. The thing I like the most is it's actually affordable. And Who Killed listeners get 10% off their first month with the discount code WHO. So why not get started today? Go to BetterHelp.com WHO. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and then you get matched with a counselor you'll love. Again, for 10% off, go to betterhelp.com who.
1: At approximately midnight, John Beckany knocks on Charles Neville's door. He and a friend are going to the local 7-Eleven, going to walk over to the 7-Eleven. And John Beckany returns the wig, sunglasses, and trench coat to Judy at that time. So she left these items in his dorm room because she went over to see Charles. They're going to the 7-Eleven, probably just drop by and say, hey, do you want to go with us? No, don't want to go. Okay, here's your items back that you you left in my dorm. Um, John Beckany statement to police is that Judy is in good mental and physical condition at this time. Um, now, May 24th, 1978 at approximately 2:30 a.m Charles Neville says that that this is the time that Judy leaves his room and that she her intentions are to walk home so we've just referenced um, four or five, individuals that saw her in the hours between 11 p.m. and maybe up to 2:30 a.m. Again, I don't love that 2:30 a.m. time because we're getting that from from witnesses that I think should be suspects. So I think the key the key time frame is 11 p.m. and onward. Something happened after 11 p.m. Something happened after she went to Dunbar Hall. And I I am not very confident that she walked out of Dunbar Hall.
0: That is a timeline that is definitely disconcerting if you're anybody related to Judy or her friends because it definitely sounds like whatever happened happened in that last from midnight to 2.30 in the morning or whatever that is.
1: Right. And, and, and between some of those individuals that I've mentioned there that I named in in that timeline of that night, there's been some very minor discrepancies in their stories throughout the years. Um, again, memories fade are, you know, we're human beings. We make mistakes. We forget things. Um, that's that's all well and good. But there there are also some some inconsistencies in the stories. And we're talking about not being questioned 40 years later, months later. Um So yeah, I, I, I think that your answer lies somewhere within the, the four or five uh, individuals that, that we just named.
0: Yeah. And that is one of the things that we run into when you have Somebody who or multiple people who are complicit in a crime, you know, they I I guess if two people know, they're kind of each supporting each other on not sharing what they know. But maybe when one passes away, maybe they'll give in. But it doesn't seem like this should be that hard of a case to solve, in my opinion. It just it seems like a case that just was screwed from the start. And that's basically, you had so many days to clean up a crime scene, if there was a crime scene, if there was blood, if there was this, that, or the other. And again, there was no sign of a struggle at her dorm, so the police didn't have any reason to suspect foul play. Yes, there's a missing persons, but again, it's 1978, and people do go missing. And that is by their own choice in most cases. So, at the end of the day, I'm sitting here looking at a case that, yes, it seems very cut and dry that something happened with those four or five individuals, but why there hasn't been any action, I think, stems from the fact that they don't have any physical evidence to prove that a crime was committed, and, of course, they don't have a body. So, you know, it's, what do they have I mean, it all sounds really good. Like you mentioned the timeline. It sounds great for the papers. And this all does sound good too, but it's just like they just don't, it doesn't sound like they have enough to bring any charges unless somebody just finally decides to confess.
1: Well, and like I pointed out, it only takes one or two individuals in this timeline to be lying for the fact that that she didn't, leave that she didn't make that walk you know this time this timeline if if we are to believe every individual and they're telling the 100 truth in this timeline then she should have left and in my mind she she should have made it to back to her dorm so there's at least one individual in this group that is lying who is who is it i can't i don't know i i just don't um i can't say because i don't know and if it's two people that are lying that is where it gets even more complex for your investigation and in the early goings of this case they were not investigating a homicide they were investigating a missing persons case they were really thinking that they were going to find her alive and well somewhere that this was just a misunderstanding and the only misunderstanding i see here is with believing all of these guys stories
0: yeah i i would i would agree i think that uh If they took these guys' stories at face value, then they didn't have any reason to continue looking into them at that time. The case seems more dramatic than what it should be. I mean, this wouldn't be something I think today that we would be talking about 40 years from now. I just don't think that would be the case. And another thing about technology is... All the dorms now have scanner cards. So you would have had a time in or a time out, you know, for... At least for, like, let's say the, these individuals did have something to do with her disappearance and they did dispose of her body. They would have at least, if it happened today, let's say they did avoid cameras and all that other stuff, there would still be that one thing, like, oh, I don't know, cell phone locations or... Uh, you know just geo tracking information but again the when they come back to the dorm oh well can you explain why you were gone from 2:30 to 4:30 a.m. you know it's right. just like i know we always wait, we always talk about technology and we always are waiting for technology to catch up but uh in this case unfortunately it was a disadvantage and i'm just I don't think it should be, I don't think it should be this difficult, but they need to find the body. And if, it's 40 years, man. I mean, what are your thoughts about where this body could possibly be? Well, I was just going to say, I'm a little
1: surprised with the development of that immediate area and just the development in general over time that she's not been discovered by accident. Um, But that's the key here that we need to point out and remind everyone is just that one they need. I really feel bill. And, and I can't say this with 100% certainty, but the vibes I was getting from, uh, the U S marshals was that this case is really teetering on finding those remains. If they could find her remains that we might have a case here. We might have arrest or arrests that follow shortly afterwards. So, um, you know, one thing that's key that we need to point out here is it is an active investigation, even though it's been 40 Mm -hmm. years. The U.S. Marshals are highly invested in this this investigation and finding who is responsible or or the party Parties that are responsible and any information should be, we don't, we don't need to send it to Kent State. We don't need to send it to Avon Lake. We need to go right to the source. So inf- good information does not get lost. If anybody has any information in the Judy Martins case, please, please, please reach out to the U.S. Marshals and the best number to get a hold of them would be one for wanted which is 18664926833. Uh Bill, if you would allow me just a few more minutes of your time here, I have another missing persons case that I'm hoping to bring some more awareness to and this is in your area, so I know your listeners will be um could be helpful with any information in this one, so Paige Coffee has been missing since Wednesday, May first, two thousand and nineteen, and there's some conflicting stories on the last time that she was seen. So let's just kind of put that as a roundabout, but it, that's generally believed to be the last time that anybody saw Paige Coffee alive and well. She's been missing from Bratenahl, uh, It's Braytonall, right? Ohio, which Brattnall, is a very, which is very,
0: it's the fanciest uh got the biggest houses in the city
1: well she was 27 years old at the time of her disappearance she's five foot eight inches tall 230 pounds um female uh, african-american brown hair brown eyes um i've met some of her family absolutely wonderful people they are heartbroken they're trying to do anything they can to figure out where Paige coffee may be or or what may have happened to her the uh, Brattonall Police Department and the Cleveland Family Center for Missing Children and Adults need your help locating this missing female. T- again, 27 years old, Paige Coffee was last seen May first, 2019. Family members fear Paige may be in danger due to a change in mental status. Paige has ties to South Euclid, Macedonia, Oakwood, and
0: Copley. Copley. It's Copley, it Copley
1: or Cop- Copley areas. Uh, Anyone who has seen Paige or anyone who may have any information as to her whereabouts, please contact the Bratton Police Department at 216-681-1234 or the Cleveland Family Center
0: at 216-255-8164. Well, I think that that is a worthy couple minutes. I think that any unsolved case, especially when you're involved with the parents and you've met them and on a personal level I think it becomes much more you know you want to see resolution I know I felt that way after I met Mark Maholovic. and again uh, this will come out obviously after the 32-year anniversary of 10-year-old Amy Maholovic's abduction and disappearance and murder and again that case remains unsolved too so We do these shows for a reason and some of it is for the hope that people will one day come forward with the right information and these communities can put these cases behind them and let these families start to rebuild their lives because, again, it doesn't just impact one family. It impacts the whole, you know, it's like a spider web, you know, it starts in the middle and just Mm -hmm. expands out and... Uh, you know, the sooner they get the answers, the better.
1: And and sorry, with the, with the Paige coffee, uh, investigation, missing persons case that we just talked about, I know that the FBI has recently become involved in this investigation. And so really when I'm asking everybody for help, it's not just like, do you think that you've seen Paige recently or do you think that, you know, her whereabouts uh, uh, of late, They're also really trying to fill out the timeline around her disappearance. So if anybody can think back and recall something from that May 1st date, uh, just before, just after, maybe something they witnessed that they thought was strange in that general area, um, they're looking to fill out the timeline. Because look, we just talked about Judy Martin's case. Look how important the timeline of her disappearance is. In in that case. And so um, when you have somebody that you're looking for, someone that's gone, lost, gone, missing, it's really key that they have good information and have a good timeline to work off of. Because if you don't have that, you don't have any real leads at all. And again, Judy Martin's case, the story has always been she disappeared in the middle of the night walking, walking the streets in the dark alone that's no timeline at all. And when you really start to look at the timeline and the events of the 23rd, you start to get a much clearer picture of what probably happened in the Martins case.
0: Yeah, I think that that is definitely a good, good message to put out there. And it's important for people just to be conscientious of their surroundings. And I hate to remind people to be safe and stuff like that. But you know you do have to be aware and and if you see something that doesn't seem right you know jot down a license plate if you can or you know it's like I try to tell people if you see something that doesn't feel right do your best to maybe take a note I mean I'm not trying to put people Mm -hmm. in danger I don't want people to like pull out their cameras and start taking video but if you're able to do so in a safe environment We've seen it with, you know, the George Floyd case, obviously, uh, you know, without that cell phone video, we wouldn't be in the situation we were were in. And again, it's important for innocent bystanders to basically stand up and be like, hey, no, (laughs) don't don't do that. Don't you know, if, if you see somebody being taken, dragged away or thrown over the shoulder like we talked about earlier in the episode in this day and age that's not acceptable so if you see that step in at least find somebody of authority that can step in i'm just saying you can be diligent and not just be some innocent bystander who just stands by and doesn't do anything i mean it's just you can be more of a better you can be a better person by providing information to the police than just ignoring it. And I know that sounds stupid, but so many people just turn the other way. And it's it's a shame because a lot of these crimes could probably be solved if the, these people stepped forward. And when
1: we talk about being a better person or better people, there are few better people than than Bill Huffman, who had me on his wonderful show today. Uh, I want to thank you again, Bill, for, for allowing me to, to come on and uh thank your audience for, for putting up with me for another stay. And uh I hope they'll have me back. And go Browns, right? Um Browns are four and three. I guess five and two is the the leader in the whole AFC right now. So um there's there's still hope, still lots of hope. Um
0: Yeah. I mean it, Baker's injury is a little bit confused. Mm -hmm. concerning but uh you know we i at least was comfortable seeing case perform dutifully i mean he just did his job and that was really all he needs and left chubb back on so hopefully it all works out but yes having you on the show is always a pleasure i know you're a huge browns fan and we always have to throw in a little browns thing at the end there (laughs) so uh with their hopes still alive for a great season. I mean, they still have 10 games left. So, because remember, this is a 17-game season. And, uh, yeah, let's uh, hope for the best. And, Nick, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. And thank you so much for taking a significant amount of your morning to uh, spend time with me and to share your knowledge on the Judy Martins case, because I believe it is something that you are very knowledgeable about. And I think the timeline that you laid out really does a great job of kind of putting it where it should be and who may be responsible. So thank you.
1: And thanks again, Bill. Thank you. And thank your wonderful, beautiful audience uh, for allowing me in here again. Hey, if you haven't already, check out true crime garage podcast, um, We're a weekly podcast, and we're almost as good as Who Killed. So uh, check us out. Uh, We're available everywhere. Thanks again, Bill. Take care, buddy.
0: You bet. Thanks, Nick. Thank you so much to Nick of the True Crime Garage podcast for joining me once again. Remember to check out their premium show, Off the Record, on the Stitcher app, as well as their entire backlog wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thank you again to this week's sponsor, Best Fiends. Download it today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Also, thank you to BetterHelp.com. You can save 10% with my promo code WHO. Most importantly, though, thank you all for listening. There wouldn't be a show without you guys. As you know, you can find new episodes of Who Killed every Friday wherever you get your favorite podcasts. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast and my other shows, you can help support this show via paypal with my username at William Huffman 3 or via the venmo app with my username at bill dash huffman dash three every contribution big or small does help keep these slow burn podcasts running you can also help support the show by leaving a five-star review on apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows those five stars go a long way and help keeping the important cases that I cover in the spotlight. So if you'd like to uh, stay up to date on the cases that I have covered, as well as the new shows I have in the pipeline, you can always follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. So thank you guys so much again for listening. Until next time, be healthy and stay safe.